0: You're listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. This podcast exists to encourage, empower, and equip you to share your story, and with it, the gospel. On today's takeaway, Mike and I are discussing the importance of treating someone like a person and not a project when sharing your faith with them. Thanks for joining us, everybody.
1: We're here for another Takeaway episode. It's exciting. I think we have finally gotten used to calling it a Takeaway. I know.
0: I'm I'm not tripping over it anymore. This is the Takeaway, part of Mountain and Valley Podcast. All right. Well, hey, if you guys haven't uh, checked it out yet, you need to go listen to Matt Outlaw's episode. Uh, It was really, really cool. Um, We were very thankful for Matt coming on and sharing his story with us. Uh, Speaking of Matt Outlaw... Micah, I don't think you've really talked about your wood, woodworking hobby um, on the podcast before. So, can you tell us how you got into that? So, it all started with, ironically, watching different
1: YouTube videos on just DIY projects. Mm. Uh, when Paige and I bought our house, oh, what projects do we want to do? Putting a new light fixture, oh, look up how to do that. Change something else around the house, a doorknob, a, a door, whatever. How do you do that? Look it up on YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. And then some of those people that I looked up the how-to DIY homeowner stuff also did woodworking. And so it just kind of, one thing led to another, and then next thing you know, I've built a couple desks, done a few shelves, a few different signs for people, lots of different storage things for the quote-unquote workshop,
0: which Mm -hmm. is just in the basement, but yeah. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. They kind of f- fit together, go hand in hand. Yeah. I know, like, you know, recently me and Aaron bought a house, and I've had to do a lot of handyman stuff, like building shelves in our closet. And I won't lie, like, there's a bit of a, a thought there, like, I could enjoy doing this. It's really fun. It's surprisingly relaxing, even
1: though you're working a lot of the times where I'm working with some pretty, pretty dangerous uh, machinery. with A table saw, a miter saw, different spinning blades. For those of you who don't know what those are and don't care to know what those are,
0: so they saw things. Yep. Um, (laughs) I think the only thing holding me back right now is the price of wood. Um, well, what is a a project that you're working on right now?
1: I'm in between projects. I'm in between. (laughs) Yeah, I recently finished a desk for my mom and working on the podcast and just work in general other things in life are are taking precedence
0: right now. That's fair. That makes sense. So, I'm curious like normally with your workflow in doing woodworking, how do you go about coming up with a project and completing a project? Do you have like a list of things you do or do you just keep everything in your head and kind of
1: So, I uh... Right or wrong, my workflow is I have an idea or somebody has a request. I sketch out a design. If I'm feeling really fancy about it, I'll do a 3D render of it in free software called SketchUp, which is not very intuitive or user-friendly, but it works once you figure it out. Kind of come up with rough estimates and then kind of narrow that into actual dimensions. And from there, it's just getting the wood, cutting the pieces. Um, You typically will do a dry assembly, which is just putting all the pieces together temporarily to make sure it all fits together. And then you go back and whether it's some specific fancy
0: joinery or screws and glue, put it together. Hmm. Okay. I'm just thinking through, like, as I was preparing for this episode, you know... I don't do woodworking, but I do a lot of other stuff where I just like to make things. And it's always a little forceful. It's like I have an idea and I'm going to force it into creation. I'm going to make it happen. Um, I'm going to make all these plans and drafts and stuff in order to get it to happen. And, you know, it just came to mind because today we want to talk about what it means to treat a person as a person and not as a project. Because those are two very different things. Um, So, you know, going into that a little bit today, we're discussing how we should treat people when we're sharing our faith. Um, This is actually going to be the first episode in a series of discussions about sharing our testimonies with neighbors and friends. Let's get into it a little bit. What do we mean when we say treating people like projects? So it's common,
1: I feel like, in evangelism that people go in with like you said this game plan the this instruction manual if you will of first i'm going to say this and then i'm going to say that and then i'm going to ask this question and point to this scripture and that scripture and this checklist of things like oh in order to move to step two in the instruction manual you got to complete one whereas people don't work that way You know, you may introduce yourself to somebody and then they don't want anything to do with you and you're done. Or you may hit it off and become best friends. And there's so many different variables because people are different and they require different things. They have different needs and have been different places. So you can't have this cookie cutter game plan. People require flexibility.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think another part of it, too, is um, we, as Christians, tend to add it as part of our growth checklist, where it's like, you know, I need to pray for 10 minutes every day, I need to spend 30 minutes in my Bible every day, I need to go to church on Sunday, I need to be in a small group, or a Bible study, or whatever you want to call it, and then I need to be sharing my faith with somebody. And the person that we're sharing our faith with just gets lumped onto this checklist, and... You know, we'll just kind of rush through a gospel presentation or sharing our testimony in three minutes or something like that um, just because we want to check it off of our list and get it done. Yeah,
1: and I'm not saying, or I'm, I'm not saying, I don't think you're saying any of those things are necessarily bad in and of themselves, but when you do it religiously, habitually, and it's very mechanical I I feel like it's a good word for this analogy is not organic and it's not authentic then it becomes a bad thing so if you're being legal about it that's when it stops being in my opinion the right thing again reading your bible praying every day going to church weekly being in a community and sharing your faith those things are all good things but how you go about it absolutely matters.
0: Exactly. What ultimately the question is: What is your heart behind what you're doing? So going back to woodworking, um, if I so for example, I mentioned I had to build shelves for our closet. That was a necessity. That had to happen. Um, otherwise, we would have nowhere to hang our clothes. And I will admit, we're still working on that project. So sorry, Aaron. Uh, a little behind on that one. But. That was something that was a necessity work around the house is things are things that have to happen it's not something that comes out of necessarily a a desire to make something whereas woodworking um you know the the craft of of carpentry if you will you have a a passion for making something bringing something from nothing like you see uh this might sound off but like seeing a stack of wood and saying I could see turning that into a chair. Well, that's not far off at all.
1: And there are people that care about the process and not as much the end result. Whereas on the flip side, there are people that don't care about the process and only care about the end result.
0: And I think ultimately, like, that's just what we're getting at is, are you treating someone like there's something that's on your your to-do list that's housework that has to get done? Or are you treating them like a passion project, something that you really care about deeply and want to see done right? What are some ways you, Micah, or myself at some point in this discussion uh, that, we, that we've seen this done in missions or, or outreach? Where I've seen people
1: be treated like projects specifically?
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: Um, the most obvious one that came to mind in It's here in the notes, but it's really obvious is our tracks.
0: Yeah. Bible tracks. Bible tracks. Can you explain what those are? Because some people might not know.
1: That's fair. Growing up in the South, the Bible Belt, they were everywhere. Less common today, thankfully. But they were little booklets of paper, not much bigger than a matchbook, that were often marketing for the gospel. Is, a, is the only way I can really describe it. And I like to think that people who created that concept, their intentions were right, but the execution, in my opinion, is totally off. It's so impersonal. Mm. It's And to be fair, I guess that was a different time because I can think of stories where people legitimately accepted Christ from that. But it was a little booklet that often talked about Hell, heaven, who God is, how Jesus died on the cross for us. And it would present the gospel in some way, some more loosely than others. But it was a way that some people tried to share the
0: gospel. Again, it was really impersonal. Yeah. I like that word. I I think a lot of what we're going to be talking about is just the, the fact that it's not a personable, relatable thing. It's just very... Cold. Mm-hmm. It's like shoving it in your face. Here it is. Take it or leave it. I'm gonna go do, do my own thing now. Um, another big one that came to mind for me was uh, like preachers on a street corner. Turn or burn. Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, I don't think they're as common as they used to be. I've I've seen a few in my day, and every time I see them, I just like cringe inside. I'm like, dude, that's just not. No, that's not, not really the best way to handle this.
1: Um, I don't know anybody personally, and there may be someone out there that has benefited from that. It's often way more harm than good. Again, I like I just said, I, I know some people personally that got saved from a track. So, great. There's some benefit there. Do I think it's the right way? No. However... Standing on the corner with a megaphone or with a sign, fire and brimstone, I don't see any benefit anywhere. And again, there may be some I've not seen nor heard of it though, right?
0: And I will say real quick, like i I like you have not heard any stories of people who have benefited from that, who've come to faith through that. but I will say I think it's possible for people to use that sort of platform and share the gospel in a positive way where it's not turn and burn messages like you know and by turn and burn we mean like people are going to stand on a street corner and yell at people that they're going to go to hell um and you know i I think there is probably a way for people to stand on a street corner and just boldly proclaim the gospel and it be effective um, if they're living out the fruits of the spirit like peace patience gentleness kindness Love. Love. Self-control, especially. Self-control, but more often than not, it's associated with very hateful yeah. connotations. Um, it's it's something that has painted Christianity in a bad light, where people think of Christianity as someone standing on a street corner just yelling at people that they're going to go to hell, and they deserve it. Um, and while there are definitely things about that message that are biblically accurate, it's not the only thing in the Bible to talk about so no, and it, it kind of blows
1: my mind going off on a little bit of a tangent here before I move on is if they say that to a Christian you're literally wasting your time because the person that needs to hear the gospel isn't and the person you just said is going to hell is likely going to talk to you and say no I'm not and here's why and mm-hmm. you get into a conversation and then and then what, what have you accomplished
0: Yep. Priorities, Yep. Again, it goes back to the heart thing. Like, is your heart to help that person or are you just being really mean to that person? But we've spent a little bit too much time on this one, so we're going to move on. You guys get the picture. Um, I think another one that comes to mind for both of us is short-term mission trips. Yeah. And this is a little controversial, so. Yeah. I kind of want to be tactful in talking about this because...
1: I do see benefit in short-term missions. Absolutely. No question about it. However, my personal opinion on it is starting to change. The more I learn about sharing the gospel in an authentic and meaningful way, I can't see evangelism without discipleship. In short-term mission trips, for anyone who doesn't understand, it's often where you take a week, a month, something like that, a a shorter amount of time, could be even a weekend, and you specifically go um, to share the gospel, to minister to people, to help out with a different church that may be new, lots of different things you can fill in the blank, if you will. But it's short-term. How are you supposed to follow up in discipleship? Today, I, th- I think it's possible with technology, but I don't think it's often done. I've been on short-term. You've been on short-term. We've been on mission short-term mission trips together even. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty of not necessarily discipling those that I shared with. And this is something I'm passionate about. So how much more likely is it that someone who doesn't necessarily have a heart for sharing their faith like we do is going to?
0: Right. A large part of me is in favor of short-term mission trips, um, for for different reasons. So I think one thing that comes out of short-term trips is relationship building, um, and we're gonna talk a lot more about that here in a minute. But you know there are a lot of people that I connect, I've connected with over the years through short-term mission trips that I'm like Facebook friends with. And we'll occasionally get to message and talk to them about stuff, or like they'll they'll be in town, and I'll get to just have a conversation with them, go get lunch or coffee or something. Um, so that's that's one thing that I see as a benefit to them. Uh, another thing is, um, like you said, discipleship. So often, more often than not, and a lot of the, there are areas where this falls short, but on a short-term mission trip. You're going to go and share the gospel with someone, and if they believe, you connect them with a, lo- a local church that you're aware of. Um, so that is good, but there is no personal follow-up usually because I'm, if I'm on that trip and I share the gospel with them, invite them to go to this church, I'm not going to be at that church in a week, and I'm not going to be in the country in the next week to follow up with them and, and just talk to them. So that is definitely a downside. Um, and the other thing, of course, that people always go back to with short-term mission trips is planting seeds. Um, and I do, I do see a benefit to that in, in so far as you're going to go share the gospel with them, you're going to plant just a little seed of truth in their life, and then maybe someday someone else gets to come along and water it or, or harvest it or all these Christianese phrases that I don't like using. And I will add another
1: benefit that isn't as applicable to this specific conversation. So I don't want to go off on it too, too far, but often who's going is impacted. I know I've grown a lot in, and my passion for sharing my faith has been increased on numerous occasions because of a short term mission trip.
0: And I like we'll sit here on this for a second. But, you know, one other benefit is uh building relationships with missionaries. Absolutely. That is that is something that more than anything I've gotten, like I've gone on I don't even know, several several mission trips out of the country that have been short term and I've built relationships with missionaries that I've been able to keep over the years. Two two guys in, in particular. Um Stan and Stephen yeah like I get to touch base with them every now and then and have conversations with them and just check in um, I even got to go over to Asia and, and visit one of our friends who was living over there for a year and there's something about short-term mission trips that if you gear it more towards being an encouragement to the missionary that you're visiting it's a much bigger benefit than I'm just going to share the gospel with like hundreds of people as quickly and easily as I can and but I will say I do see a lot of downsides uh, based on like who is going, why they're going, why they're going, like what is their heart behind it? So I'll never forget um, I was I was a student leader my second time going down to Honduras, and there was this one guy who he he went and all he did was take pictures the whole time with disposable cameras. And I asked him, I was like, why are you, why are you taking so many pictures? And I don't see you playing with these, these kids that we're working with. I don't see you really talking to anybody. I don't even see you like talking to the team at all. You're just down here taking pictures. And he told me basically, well, my grandma paid for this trip and just asked that I get as many pictures for her as I could. And I was just like, really? That's why you're here? And I think that's the real question that people need to ask if they're going to do a short-term mission trip. Are you going to plant seeds? Are you going to connect with a missionary? Are you going to build relationships that you hope to foster in the future? Um, And if the answer is one of those things, I think you're going for the right reason. But if it's not, if you're going to just take pictures, if you're going to just be able to post a Facebook status when you get home, like, oh, I got to go here and, and do all this, and it was so great, and I did so many good things, Then I just, I don't think you're doing it for the right reason. Yeah.
1: Yeah, if you're going for a social media post,
0: you don't need to go. Yeah, you should just not go at all. In fact, I would say no cameras on short-term mission trips, period. <laughs> but, hey, that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> <Dang it. laughs> Maybe one camera. We'll give you one camera. All right. Um, well, how how do we think this makes people feel? These sort of approaches to sharing our faith that are just very impersonal and cold, where um, we're just treating someone like they're a project or some something on our checklist.
1: Well, I actually know how it makes people feel. I had a good a good friend named Sean, um, who I got permission to share this about before recording I made sure to ask where we have conversations regularly about my faith he's not a Christian Um, he believes in a higher being a deity but not Yahweh not the Christian God and so he shared he grew up in the church but he's also had people share their faith with him in this manner and it's damaging you know it creates trust issues it's selfish it's i'm prideful often from there from the person who's being shared with or spoken at rather than spoken with It's a very prideful approach it's i'm right this is why you should believe it if you don't this is going to happen which you know Yeah, I I believe those things are going to happen, but I also know that it's our job to share. It's not our job to convert. You know, that's that's a God thing. He's going to work on people's hearts. He's going to lead them to Him. They've got to accept that. It's it's not on us to force them to make that decision. And it's it's typically hostile, Mm. which is not the right way to do it. Very rarely did we ever see Jesus be hostile. It was typically towards other Christians or believers that were doing things the wrong way.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of the way people have begun to approach talking about their faith with someone else has, has become very argumentative. Um, they They immediately jump to apologetics in, in a sense armchair apologetics i will say and there's nothing wrong with apologetics i love apologetics they're cool they're awesome it's really fun to study but people will just they'll get into the facebook comment section and they'll just tear someone apart because they disagree with with their beliefs and it's it's i don't know it's it's really funny uh if you've seen that video of these two dogs that are fighting and there's like a gate between them and they're just going at each other nonstop, and then someone open up opens up the gate and they're just being really nice and friendly and what? wagging their tails never seen
1: that but that <laughs> is social media to a team is
0: it, social media is basically fence aggression for humans um you get a lot of keyboard warriors as i call them yes Absolutely, a lot of trolls out there. Um, But I don't know, that's what I've been thinking about with with this question in particular. I know when when someone, it doesn't happen often, but if I say something on Facebook and someone just attacks me for something that I believe in that I've stated, I don't feel good. Like I just feel less than human. Like, I feel like I did something wrong and that this person now hates me, like literally hates me. It could be a friend on Facebook who just attacks something that I say and I'm like, well, I guess we're not, because we're not friends anymore. And it's, it's just so damaging. I, f- I feel like when we approach our faith from a point of just, I'm going to argue with this person until they believe, or, I just don't think it's going to work. I don't think you're going to argue someone into heaven. How could it i'm and i'm using this the strictest sense of the word argue like right screaming at someone telling right them they're wrong. how
1: could you if you're man it, it makes no sense something that is a free gift and you're threatening that just doesn't like if somebody's trying to give me a Christmas gift and I don't want it, and they're just screaming at me, "No, you have to take it! You have to! It's the best gift ever!" Okay, dude, you're crazy. I'm out. So why would we expect it to be any different in
0: in faith? Exactly. There should there should be room as Christians. We should we should first and and foremost, when we're going to comment on something or respond to someone online, it should be coming from a place of Love, peace, patience, mercy, kindness, joy. Going again back to Galatians and the fruit of the Spirit. You so You forgot one of the biggest ones in that situation, which is self-control. Self-control. You can just not comment at all. <laughs> well, I think most importantly we need to ask, how do we think this kind of behavior affects the way the other person views God? that
1: Again, I'll go back to my analogy of the Christmas gift. I don't want anything to do with that. Whoever's given the gift. Let's say somebody's delivering it on behalf and they're the ones screaming. I don't care who gave it to me. I don't want anything to do with it. Because the messenger was a jerk. I don't, I don't care who actually sent it. I don't want anything to do with whoever sent it. You should have delivered it yourself. Or you should have picked somebody more kind so many things reflect on the gift giver and this analogy god and so they're not even willing to see who the real deal is and why there's this
0: big old wall there yeah i, th- I think of uh that that gandhi quote where he says i like your jesus but i don't like your christians I think it's just so true of how people view the church now like I've I've heard a lot of people who aren't Christians say it's like honestly a lot of the stuff you guys believe is pretty cool it's pretty awesome but the way that the church treats everyone who's outside the church is is pretty awful like we just we I don't know I will say we because I've been I've been known to do some stuff too but you know as Christians we have a tendency to attack anyone who isn't living out the, I don't want to say tenants, but that's the only word I can think of right now, the tenants of the Bible, where it's like you're not living the way that the Bible tells us to live. You just said commandments. The commandments. There you go. (laughs) Where are you going with this? (laughs) That lit degree coming in handy. Um, No, like we, we just, we expect people who aren't Christians to act like Christians, and we attack them when they don't. And it's silly because, why would they live out the way the Holy Spirit commands us to live when they don't have the Holy Spirit commanding them to live that way? Yeah, and it, it's like we want it to be
1: a members-only club. Mm-hmm. Which it's not supposed to be at all. Only cookie-cutter Christians that have it together can be in church. No, that's not what it's about. If anything, you shouldn't be here. And the people who don't have it together, that need help, that have questions that are flawed, which we all are, I'm so flawed are the ones that need to be in the church. I'm using air quotes that you can't see because the church isn't a building, but,
0: and I think it, it ultimately leads to people feeling alienated that, well, they feel alienated and they feel as if it's so exclusive that God doesn't want them, which is bogus. Mm hmm. I, I you know we just I, at some point some almost all of us have heard something along the lines of I can't go to church I'm not good enough. God doesn't want me. I'm not I'm not good enough. I need to get my life together before I go back to yeah. church. Yep. I can't I can't pray or get saved because I need to take care of these things in my life first. That's it's not like, a No, that's not how like that's not the gospel. The gospel is God took care of those things. Jesus took care of those things on the cross and now you can go to God with all of your imperfections that is completely
1: man-made it's from pride it's look at me i'm forgiven i've got it all together well no you don't have it all together yes you're forgiven but what are you doing you're you're wreaking havoc on what jesus did not that you stop it or, or take away the importance or significance but you're preventing other people from experiencing it and accepting it because you're in the club who cares now that we've discussed the negative effects of treating somebody like a project what would it look like to treat someone like a human which they are while also wanting to share your faith with them
0: micah do you have a favorite tv show or movie no. Uh,
1: yes, yes, I do. Favorite movie is The Prestige.
0: Okay. So that's actually really good. So we've been friends for a long time. I had never seen The Prestige. And you you just told me multiple times, like, it's a really good movie. You need to watch it. And I think I think you bugged me about it for a while and I didn't see it. And then one day I was over at your house. You're welcome. <laughs> And you just pulled The Prestige out and we just sat there and watched The Prestige. It's a really good movie. Honestly, it it might be in my top ten. You're welcome. (laughs) I think that's what it looks like is just being friends with somebody and having conversations with them about something that you care about. Because you know that it's good for them. And it shows. So referencing back
1: my friend Sean... He knows, he knows my faith. We talk about my faith and his beliefs a lot, and respect has allowed that to happen. If I, if I don't respect who I'm talking to, and if I don't show them that respect, and if I don't listen as much, if not more than I talk, there's no point, Mm -hmm. you know, thankfully because I've not shoved my faith or religion down Sean's throat and, you know, I've, Tried to do it in a very respectful and honoring approach. He doesn't mind me talking to it about him, yep. talking to him about it. But the moment I start being a, a woodworker, treating it like a project, I wouldn't blame him. I would expect him to shut me up, to say, stop right there. You know, mm-hmm. we'll talk about something else.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just I I like what you said, just listening is a good part of it. So I think a large portion of this is if you're going to talk, you also have to listen to the other person's thoughts and feelings. And something that I think we'll get into as we continue this little series here is that it's not one huge climactic moment where you share your faith. And I think that's what we, I don't know, it's been my experience, but I feel like that's what we talk about in church a lot. And it's what a lot of books talk about,
1: and I think we've we've probably painted that picture over the years here. Which I think, yeah, us growing and sharing our faith, and as a podcast, hopefully you you as listeners are with us, we're learning.
0: That's not quite it, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I, I'm I just think we we have this idea often as Christians that sharing our faith is this singular moment that we can. Just go up to a person and say, here's the gospel in three easy steps. Here's the Romans road. Um, Let me tell you my testimony in three to five minutes. And then we're done. Then we just walk away and it's over. But I don't think that's what it looks like. I think treating someone like a human being while sharing our faith with them is coming alongside them in friendship and living out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus while being a friend to them. And by that I mean, are you literally are you living out the fruits of the spirit? Are you loving God first and then loving your neighbor as yourself? Um, you know, are you are you a good spouse? Are you a good friend? Are you someone who is investing in your community? Are you someone who's taking care of other people, uh, so forth and so on? And as people see those moments of you living out life the way that Jesus modeled for us to live out. They will see how alive your faith is. They see they will literally see how different you are um because you are exhibiting the fruits of the spirit instead of just shoving a quick 1 minute, 2 minute gospel message in their face with a pamphlet <laughs> and saying call this number if you have questions on a billboard, I don't know. Um I think I think that's what it looks like.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's the example we were given with Jesus. I mean, he hung out with his disciples, but that's not all who he hung out with. Yes, growing up, he was found in the churches and the tabernacle, the temples. He was a student, but throughout his ministry, when he wasn't with the disciples, he was with so many different people. He wasn't kind of referencing earlier the whole cookie cutter thing. Jesus didn't do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, he literally hung out with, you know, the lowest of the low. Like he was hanging out with prostitutes and beggars in the streets. Tax collectors. He hung out with lepers. Leopard. Yeah. Gosh. You were
1: marked on uncle- like you were completely kicked out of society if you were with a leper.
0: Yep. You could you could not go anywhere near a leper or you yourself were considered leprous until proven otherwise by a priest. Um and Jesus went out and hung with them. Like, I mean, that's what it's all about. Like he went and met people where they were. He he went to the lowest of the low and spent time with them and treated them like human beings, which was something that they were not being treated as anymore. Like the higher class society at that time were treating them like dogs. And Jesus said, no, no, that is that is a person made in God's image. I love them and care about them. And they're why I'm here. In fact, let's look at that real quick. Uh, Mark 2 verses 13 through 17. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to heal the righteous, but sinners. That's what Jesus' whole ministry was about. He came to take care of the sick. He came to take care of the sinner. And he literally ate dinner with people who We're the outcasts of society. And we should aim to do the same thing. We should treat people like they are human beings, deserving of our respect and love and care and attention, and sit down and have a meal with them, sometimes literally, rather than just going and attacking them because they're sinners.
1: How can you expect someone to care about what you care about If you're not willing to show that you first care about them as a person, what I believe has no weight, if I don't care about you,
0: why should it? Yep. No one will listen to you unless they know that you care about them first.
1: Right. And I think that's why you have to be willing to listen. And I think you should listen first before you ever speak. That that shows humility, that shows compassion, and it lets whoever you're talking with know I care enough to put you first. And that's the way it should be. Jesus put everyone before himself, literally to the point of death. But we can't take an hour, can't even take five minutes a lot of the time just to listen. So just to recap everything, if you want to share your testimony in a better way, what we believe is the right way with people in your life, simply treat them like people, not like a project. Open your eyes and your heart and your ears to those around you in the way that God sees them. He sees them as a person worth dying for. Not as some to-do list where you just check it off and move on.
0: In the next episode of The Takeaway, we'll be discussing how to share your faith with coworkers. Definitely going to be an interesting conversation that you do not want to miss. Until next time.
1: Thank you for listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing an episode with a friend. You can also follow us on social media. Just search underscore MV Podcast on any platform. This podcast was created and produced by Kip Wilkinson and Micah Horvath. This episode was mastered and scored by J.A. Parkey. To learn more about this project, you can visit mvpodcast.org. Thank you so much for listening. Now go tell your story. It is just driver (laughs) yelling at me. Beep, driver. Wow. Uh. Uh. So go back to the analogy with Christmas.